Well, good morning, my church. How are you this morning? Jeff and I had the privilege of going to a wedding last night with Chelsea, who just sang for you. She's married to Bryant, that guy who hides back there and plays the drums. And she said to me last night, I'm really nervous. I haven't sang in a while. And I said, don't worry. I'm really nervous. I haven't speaked in a while. And I'm not nervous anymore, Chelsea. I don't know where you were, but she just led us right into the presence of God. And so thank you for that. And I'm excited. I feel very ill-equipped to do our Savior justice this morning, but I feel like he has really something big for us today. So will you pray with me real quick, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Jesus, what a beautiful name it is. God, I, I don't have words to help people know just how big and awesome you are. And so, God, I ask that your presence would be here and that your presence would fill every space of our hearts so that we would know that we can walk in confidence and trust you when we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, sorry to go emotional on you because you already got a woman speaker, and I'm sorry about that, okay? We're in the middle of a series called Choices, and basically the premise of this series is that we are encouraging you to make choices that you will not regret later in life because life, if you think about it, is not really about our abilities. It's not really about what happens to us, what we have, what we don't have. Our life is really the sum of our choices. We can't always control what happens to us, but we can control our choices. So last week, Jeff started this series and encouraged us to choose um, purpose over popularity. So we're trying to encourage you to choose things that will bring you life and not regret. We happen to believe that the more we are like Christ in our choices, the better our life will be and the more abundant and the more full that it will be. Well, last week he teased out and he told you we were going to choose surrender over control. Anybody here last week and remember he asked us, any control freaks in the room, he asked us to raise our hand. I was sitting by my 14-year-old daughter and she raised my hand for me. So I'm not sure what that meant. Then we went home and Jeff said, baby, I really think you should do the control talk. Um, and I, I, you know, all I could think was he must really feel convicted that he doesn't want to preach what he doesn't practice at home because years ago I gave up the remote control to him. So I just figured, you know, very early on, I didn't stand a chance. We have very different attention levels. He has like ADD, very short attention span. I have this over focus. So about the time I get interested in a show, he's on to four others. And I think for him, it's not really about what's on TV. It's about what might be on TV. So, you know, I surrendered that a long time ago into his control. The other day he asked me, baby, where's the remote? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't seen the remote in 25 years. (laughs) You've had it. Um, There's really only one thing that I try to control at our house besides the remote. And that is everything else. Any of you with me? (laughs) So for our control freaks this morning, you might be a control freak if, are you ready? You might be a control freak if you have to have perfect lines when you vacuum and then you yell at people for walking on them. Anybody like that? Or maybe when you mow the grass. Okay, guys, you're not out of that one. You might be a control freak if you shame other people for throwing the throw blanket on the couch. You know, after you watch a movie and you snuggle and you got the blanket on you, if they don't fold the throw blanket perfectly and put, I mean, if you shame people for throwing the throw blanket and leaving it in a heap, you might be a control freak. You might be a control freak if you believe the sink, you know, that thing that's supposed to hold water in our house, is, should never be wet. 
Like if you get Windex out and you wipe it down perfectly so there are no streaks, you might be a control freak. You might be a control freak if your closet is color-coded. Anybody? Or maybe your garage. You might be a control freak if you label things in your fridge. Anybody have labels on stuff in your fridge at all? Um, Or maybe in your toolbox. You might be a control freak. Here's one of my favorite. If you are constantly apologizing for how your kids look. Anybody like that? Listen, some of us feel like if we let them out of the house just once and they are not matching perfectly, they will not get into the right college, all right? You might be a control freak if that bothers you. You might be a control freak if you have laundry rules. Any of you have laundry rules in your house? We have them in my house. If you come over and help me fold the laundry, if you don't do it the right way, you're never going to get asked back. Um, You might be a control freak if you keep track of every penny your spouse spends and you call it budgeting. A little more serious, you might be a control freak if you criticize more than you build up. Sometimes we do that verbally, sometimes we do that non-verbally. You might be a control freak if you spend more time telling other people what they did wrong than casting vision for what they could do in the future. So today we are going to focus on choosing surrender over control. For all of you control freaks out there, if you got an elbow in the last two minutes, I have a verse for you, okay? Are you ready? Psalms 127, 1 through 2. This is the control freak verse. If the Lord does not build the house, it is useless for the builders to work on it. If the Lord does not protect a city, it is, what's that word? Useless for the guard to stay alert. It is useless to work hard for the food you eat by getting up early and going to bed late. The Lord gives food to those he loves while he sleeps. My encouragement for us today is going to be to stop focusing on what we can do and spend more time focusing on what God will do and what he wants to do. And I love that verse because it just reminds us that all of our controlling, all of our finagling, it is useless in, in light of a God who is all-powerful, who is in complete control and has a perfect plan for us. I just want to tease, give you a few statements right up front. i a worship guide. I think there's a place that you can fill these in. Just to kind of, because when you heard those silly control freak things, you may have thrown some elbows, and you may be thinking, I'm not a control freak, all right? Just some kind of things kind of lay a foundation for us this morning. When it comes to the arena of business or your workplace or what you do for a living, just think about this. You can have control or you can have growth, but you cannot have both. You can have control or you can have growth, but you cannot have both. When it comes to your relationships, you can have control or you can have intimacy, but you cannot have both. Some of us want nothing more than for our spouse to sit down and communicate with us and be our soulmate. But if we're always trying to control them, what are they going to do? They're going to always be running. So you can have control or you can have intimacy, but you cannot have both. When it comes to the spiritual realm of our lives, you can have control or you can have miracles, but you cannot have both. You can have control or you can have the supernatural intervention of God on your behalf, but you cannot have both. We're going to look at a story of a control freak. Um, One of my favorite stories, actually a story in scripture that has had huge impact on 
the generations to come and still is impacting us today goes back to the story of a control freak in Genesis chapter 16. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. If you have a um, smartphone, you can look at it on your smartphone. We're going to put some of the words on the screen. I think they are also in your worship guide, and I would encourage you to do this. Find a pen, okay? I'm going to go control freak on you for a little bit. Get a pen, people, okay? Get a pen because I want you to look at some very specific words in this passage that I think God put in there on purpose to help us in this arena of life. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 says this, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now just let's just be honest right up front. Can you control whether you have children or not? Yes or no? No, right? You cannot really control that, right? She had no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Notice God gives her a name. Verse 2 says, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Here's what we tend to do as control freaks, and I'm one of them. We tend to blame other people all the time. And in this situation, something that is out of Sarah's control, she can't make herself have a baby. And so she starts blaming God. The Lord has kept me from having children. And then she gets real bossy with her husband. She says to Abram, go sleep with my slave. She doesn't say, would you please go sleep with my slave? She doesn't say, Abram, what do you think about this? Do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea? She gives him a a bossy command, go sleep with my slave. Notice, remember the slave had a name, Hagar? She doesn't call her by name. She calls her her slave as if she just exists to do what I tell her to do. She says, perhaps I can build a family through her. If you took out your pen, circle those words, I can. Perhaps I can. Control freaks are always focused on what we can do. Perhaps I can get my husband to think like me. Perhaps I can convince my children that what I want for them is best. Perhaps I can earn my way into that promotion. Perhaps I can, you know, get that person, get that neighbor to change their mind about how they're doing things because they are doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. All right, so notice she's focused on what she can do. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And then I love these next two words. It says, Abram agreed. I think Abram had given up control of the remote a long time ago, and he was just like, whatever you say. (laughs) Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Whatever she says, that's what I'm going to do. And so Abram does. He marries Hagar also. Now he has two wives. One is his first wife. One is her slave. And Hagar gets pregnant and has a baby. And so it says that when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Newsflash to all of you control freaks. People despise us. All right? We don't make life fun for them. And if we continue to nag and be persistent, at some point we're going to start realizing we are not so loved, okay? (laughs) The natural response of other people is they're going to run, or if they're stuck with us, they are going to start to regret being stuck with us. Um, So her mistress began to despise her. And in verse 5, it says, Sarah says to Abram, again, she blames, she says, You're responsible. For the wrong I'm suffering. Poor Abram's like, I just did what you told me to do. You blame God, now you're blaming me. You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she's pregnant, she despises me. And so Sarah says, may the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram's response in verse 6 is this, hey, 
your slave is in your hands. You do with her whatever you think is best because you're going to anyways. <laughs> so she's in your hands. Now, we read this story, and it's a little funny to poke fun at Sarah, but um, what she did in that moment where she could not control what was happening in her life. Now, in her defense, several years before, God had come to Abram and Sarah and had promised them that they would have a son. He promised to make a nation through them. And so she probably had these very high expectations. I'm going to be a mother of many children. She was expecting that to happen. When it didn't happen in her timing, she thought, well, maybe God needs a little bit of help. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to help control the situation. She started focusing on what she could do and not what God wanted to do and what God would do and what he had willed to do already. And so you might say, well, that's not a big deal. Okay, in that culture, they did that. They sometimes had multiple wives and kids through that. You know, it was important to them. The big deal is that when she gave Hagar to Abraham, Hagar had a child named Ishmael. Ishmael became the father of the Palestinian people. Eventually, they became a religion known as Islam. And so some people argue that a lot of the conflict in the Middle East for the last 2,000 years, a lot of the conflict that is still there today, some of the terrorism that we fight that you military families put your family in harm's way to fight can all be traced back to a control freak who decided, I can't wait on God's timing. I can't wait on what God will do. I'm going to focus on what I can do. So to us control freaks, I know, I know we mean well. I really believe that Sarah meant well. She wasn't intending to purposely harm anybody, but she jumped into a situation that God had under control, and she tried to take that under control. And when we focus on what we can do and not what God will do, it can hurt people around us. It can hurt us. It can hurt the generations to come. Um, let's look at what happens next before you get discouraged. In Genesis chapter 17, flip over one more chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, this is 13 years later, okay? He's already had this child with Hagar. 13 years later, when he's 99 years old, the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In essence, God is saying, whether you choose to control your situation or not, it does not change the fact that I am God Almighty. I will do what I will do. I will be who I am always, no matter what you do. See, sometimes I think that for us, control equals delay. I don't know what God's original plan was, but I have to wonder if Sarah hadn't taken this situation into her control, would she have had a child earlier? I don't know for sure, but 13 years went by while God kind of let her come to the end of her control and the end of herself before he showed up and fulfilled his promise for her. So he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm God Almighty. And then he says seven I wills. And this is where I hope you'll circle these I wills. In verse, chapter, in, in verse two, he says, then I will make my covenant between me and you. 
I will greatly increase your numbers. That's two. Abram falls face down and God says to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you. I will establish my covenant. I will give and I will be their God. Seven times God says, y'all tried it your way. Now I am here. I am God almighty. And seven times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's not about what you can do. Abraham and Sarah. It's about what I will do for you. And then he gets to Sarah. And in verse 15, I get a little nervous because I I have some control freak tendencies. So in verse 15, it says, as for Sarah, your wife, and this is where depending on your view of God, you may think, oh boy, God's about to let her have it. Notice what God does. Notice something about the nature of God from how he treats Sarah, the control freak. He says, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Sarai comes from a Hebrew root word, sar, S-A-R, which means ruler. Think of Sarai with the A-I as like the wicked witch of the West, okay? You are no longer to call her the wicked witch of the West, control freak. You are to call her Sarah which is kind of like Galinda, the good witch, okay? Like the connotation is from like evil control queen to like the good queen of mother of many nations. God changes her name. And then he says, I will bless her. I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so she will be the mother of many nations and kings of people will come from her. Later in the New Testament, when God talks about Sarah and people remember her hundreds of years later, they don't remember her as a control freak. They remember her as someone who was faithful and trusted God. So there is hope for all of us, okay? Control freak or not, there is hope for what God will do in our lives and how you will be remembered. So God comes and and commits his promise again, and Abram falls face down. Only this time, Abraham laughs to himself, and he says, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah have a child at the age of 90? And Abraham says to God two words that a lot of us say a lot. He says, if only. I wonder if I asked you this morning to complete a sentence. If I said, Um, would you finish this sentence, if only, what would you fill into that blank? If only, my husband would think the way that I think all of the time. If only, my child would stop hanging out with those people and start hanging out with these people. If only, my mother and father would finally (laughs) understand that X, Y, Z. If only, God would heal somebody I love. If only I would get this job or this promotion, or if only I could get out of debt for once and for all. If only I could find the right. What would you fill in the blank? I'm going to ask you to do this. Find a piece of paper somewhere around you. You can grab the offering envelope. You can write it on your worship guide. You can write it on the arm of the person next to you. It doesn't matter. How would you finish that sentence? If only. What is your if only right now? How would you fill in that blank? What is the one thing that you wish you could change right now in your life? If only blank. What would that be? Think about it, okay? Sometime during this service, I'm going to ask you to just just write that down. If you know if it comes immediately to your mind, you might be a control freak, okay? So go ahead and write that down. If not, then just kind of say a little quiet prayer to God and say, God, what is my if only? What is the thing that I'm hoping and wishing and wanting you to change? What would that be?
Abraham says to God, if only, if only you could just go with our plan, God, and let Ishmael live under your blessing. And in verse 19, God says to him two of the most powerful words in Scripture. He says, yes, but. (laughs) See, we're always saying to God, God, if only, if only you would do this, if only you would change this for me, if only they would do this the way I want them to do it. And God says to Abraham two words. He says, yes, but. Yes, but. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, which means laughter, like the jokes on you, control freaks, okay? I want to give you three questions just to kind of help you in these if-only situations because there's a difference between just completely neglecting all responsibility And jumping in and taking control when it's not supposed to be ours to control. So here are three questions just to kind of help you know the difference. When is it time for me to jump in and do something and be responsible? And when is it time for me to just completely surrender? How do I know whether to choose surrender or whether to choose control? The first is this. Is it really worth my concern? Another way to say that is, will it matter five years from now? Whatever you wrote on that paper, will it matter in five years? I'm guessing maybe yes for some of you because that was probably a big thing. But what about all the other things that we worry about and we try to control? In the house that I grew up in, I grew up under a wonderful mother who was a bit of a control freak, that's probably where I get it from, when it came to the house being clean. Anybody like that? We had a room in our house we were not even allowed to go into. Our living room, you could not sit on the furniture, you could not walk on the lines that were vacuumed in the carpet, and so it was kind of like, why do we have this room? You know, we're not allowed to go in there. The only problem was, it was the biggest room in the house, so it was the best room to practice gymnastics in. All right? So we were always trying to sneak in while she was in the kitchen. In those days, the houses weren't open. You know, the kitchen was a room that was a box that was separate. And we would sneak in there and try to, you know, do stuff. And, you know, God forbid we touch the couch. I don't even know why we had it because nobody sat on it. The whole time I grew up, I never saw a person sit on the couch. I was like, why do we have this house? The funny thing was, years later, and if I took you to my house today, I I might be mildly embarrassed if I took you home to meet my parents because you'd walk in, and it, if your suitcase bumped the wall, they would, oh, oh, oh you're gonna you're gonna ruin the paint, you know, like that. My parents didn't grow up with a lot, so what they worked hard for and what they earned, they really protected. That's that could be a positive thing, but you know, if we're not careful, that can become an excessive thing that drives people crazy and makes them despise you. So. Um, The interesting thing to me was when we had children, all those rules changed for the grandchildren. Anybody ever seen that happen? Like the rules you grew up under completely changed. And we lived in the same town as my parents for a season of time for about a year. And Allie was about, our oldest child was about two or three years old. And she was always going over and she was doing the unthinkable, unpardonable sin at my mom's house, which was... um, putting your fingerprints all over the window. And then she would use her, her, she would press her fingers on the window to climb onto the couch in the living room. And I'd be like, no, 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 Allie, you cannot, you cannot do that at Grammy's house. And Grammy would let her do that. In fact, when we moved away, do you know what my mother did? She never cleaned the fingerprints off of her window because she, they were precious to her and she wanted to remember those little hands that were there. So is it worth your control? 
what you're trying to control, is it something that's going to matter five years from now? Is it going to matter? So when, when you have it with only, is it worth, how about um, some of you baseball dads? It is so fun to watch y'all in action at the baseball field. Any of you baseball dads coaching out there? I mean, you watch these dads like, if only you would listen to me and you would hit the ball the way I ask you to hit the ball. It was so funny because a couple years ago, our coach was a dad who was awesome, and we do have some awesome baseball dads in this city that, I mean, like, we should pay you for what you do because you're teaching our kids great things. And this dad was getting all riled up. Of course, you can always tell who the son of the baseball dad is because the dad yells way more at his kid than he does it everybody else he's like good job Johnny nice try to his own kids like you can do better than that you know so it's so funny so I was sitting by the dad of the baseball dad the granddad and I leaned over to him and I said did you used to do that to him like where did he learn that from and he goes yeah I'm afraid so I'm afraid I probably he said he said to me it was so funny he said you have to be a generation removed to kind of chill out all right So in your control freak situations, if you could imagine yourself being a generation removed, would it matter if the throw blanket was thrown on the couch or if the laundry was folded perfectly or if your husband picked up all of his clothes the way you wanted him to? I mean, some of our if-onlys are big, but some of our if-onlys, they're kind of small and they kind of don't matter. The second question is this, is it mine to control? Is it mine? You know, now, there are times that, like, okay, let's say I need to get a job. Um, So, yes, I need to put my resume together, and I need to go out and apply different places. Like, that is mine to control. I should do something about it. Maybe you're single and you want to get married. You ought to go get your hair cut. You ought to put on deodorant in the morning. I mean, that's something that you can do about it. But sometimes we try to control things that they're not ours to control, For just marriage, for instance, can you change your spouse? Can you? No, you can't. You can nag them. You can drive them crazy. You can communicate in a nice, um, encouraging manner, but only God can change them. You can't do that. Can you heal somebody you love? No, you can't. You can pray for them. You can turn them over and surrender them to God. But there is nothing you can, I mean, you can go to doctors. You can, you know, try all kinds of health remedies. But ultimately, there is nothing you can do about that. So is it mine to control? And that kind of goes with the third question, which is, is it for God alone? I'm convinced that the majority of things that we worry about and try to control They are for God alone. Another way to say that would be, if it's not something I need to change in me, then most likely it is for God alone. If it's not something you can change and fix in your own self, then most likely it is something that is for God alone to fix. And so the question is... um, Are we going to say, I can, like Sarah? Are we going to say, perhaps I can make this happen? Or are we going to surrender to what God will do? I love that God came back to them and seven times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. Because there are a lot of things that we can't do that aren't in our control that are for God alone. But there are a lot of things that he has promised that he will do 
on our behalf. I can't save my marriage, but God will be faithful. He will give me the resurrection power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, for me to love my spouse with. I can't heal my neighbor that I love, but God will be a protector and a provider and a healer, and he will one day wipe every tear from their eyes. I hope today that we will choose to surrender the things that we're trying to control and the things that you fill in the blank of your if only, you will not step in and try to change it and say, perhaps I can, but that you will surrender to what God already wants to happen and plans to happen. Let me give you an example. My um, dad had a brother who, um, you know, I'm, I'm like a lot of you. I, some of you came from great families. I have a lot of great stuff that I came from. I have a lot of great dysfunction that I came from also. A lot of us can relate to that. And so my dad had a brother who his whole life struggled with the disease of alcoholism. That led to a lot of other problems, multiple marriages, multiple kids in trouble, and it brought my grandmother a lot of grief in her life. Most of her life, every time I remember seeing her, she was talking about Uncle Ron, and it always went like, if only, if only. Uncle Ron would finally quit drinking, if only Uncle Ron would just like get a stable job, if only, if only, if only. She said that her whole life, if only. The sad thing about this story is that my grandmother reached such a sad state of depression, and talk about a control freak. We would go to her house, and she would buy us our favorite cereal, but then she would ask us to pay for it. Like, you know, and I, I get it. She was retired. She was living on, you know, like strict income. But she's like, I bought you your favorite cereal. Now give me 75 cents. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, that was kind of weird. Like, you should have just made us eat oatmeal. Um, but my grandmother took her own life. She committed suicide at an if-only stage of her life. And not even 24 months later, God saved her son, my Uncle Ron, and completely, radically changed everything about his life. He met a wonderful woman. He married her. He's now retired and lives in Hilton Head. He's hilarious if you met him. He's like, I worked minimum wage my whole life, and I live with all these people who think they're so smart. They, they ran companies, and they did all this stuff. He goes, I'm the smart one. I'm living right next door to them. <laughs> um, but God saved him out of a disease that he struggled with most of his life, my grandmother never saw it because she gave up in the if-only stage. My encouragement to you today is don't give up. You know, Abraham and Sarah had to wait 29 years before God did what he said he would do. When God says, I will, he will. It may not be in the timing that we want it to happen. It may not be in the way that we want it to happen. But when God says an I will, you can count on that to happen. You know, God did give Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. The Jewish nation came from that. Eventually, Jesus came from that. And when Jesus was on earth, when he was at his if-only moment, he was about to go to the cross, and he was asking God, God, if only there could be another way, and I really didn't have to do it this way. Here's what our Savior said in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, Father, if you're willing, if only you would take this cup from me. And then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
my ask for you today is would you take that thing that you wrote down, your if only, whatever it is, would you fold it over? And on the other side, would you write, not my will, but your will be done? Do you trust that the God who made you, who loves you, the God who made your spouse, made your mother, made your boss, knows everything about you, that he will do what is good and right and best for you? We say that we believe that, but do we behave like we believe it? Or do we try to take it back and say, perhaps I can make something work out of this? God just wants us to surrender, not my will, but your will. I don't feel like I have an answer for you because I'm right in there with you control freaks and I'm always trying to take it back. For me, sometimes I'm not verbal about it, but I'm mental. It goes over and over and over in my mind where I have to try to take captive every one of those thoughts and say, God, not my will, but your will. I made a promise to God this year when the school year started that I would pray that prayer Every single day, I prayed over my kids because I just think they would be so great if they would do everything I said for them to do. I think my husband would just be like awesome if he'd do everything I wanted him to do. But it's not my will. It's God's will. And God's going to do what he wants to do. And when I try to control, I'm creating delay for everyone in my family. I'm delaying what God's will is. So he's like, Christy, let's get done with your plan. <laughs> let's get, let's let you run out of yourself. And then I'm still going to do what I want to do. I'm still going to do that. Whatever your if only is, would you pray that prayer this week? God, not my will. Your will be done. Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, we acknowledge that you are the creator and sustainer of all things. God, who are we? to try to tell you perhaps I can do something. But God, a lot of us have some really big if-onlys. God, some of them are stupid and we can change that today, but God, some of them are big and we don't quite know what to do with it other than to say, God, not my will. Your will be done. God, today we choose surrender over control. God, we're going to have to do that probably Many moments of many days, we choose surrender. And God, that simply means that we trust that you know better than we know. You see what we don't see. God, we surrender our futures to you. We surrender our children to you. We surrender our worries and our anxieties into your hands. Father, not our will. Your will be done. Amen.